here on the Hill. Our next Pathways session is December 5th. If you haven't attended Pathways, we'd love for you to take this opportunity. You can sign up on our website by clicking on the Easy to Find Pathways banner. There are three steps or three sessions to Pathways. The first step is salvation and membership. The second step is disciple making and the third step is involvement and stewardship. Chick-fil-A dinner is provided along with childcare. If you haven't adopted an angel from our angel tree, we only have a few more left. If you adopted an angel, the gifts are due back no later than December 13th and please pay attention to the gifts that are requested on each card. We have a community care event on December 7th at 1 p.m. There will be a Christmas singing and some other surprises. If you need more information, you can contact Doug Taylor at 502-418-5460. If you haven't heard about our Christmas schedule yet, here it is. Each year, we use the Christmas Eve service as a time to collect a special offering we call our Together Initiative. This will help our outreach team for the coming year to allocate funds where they are needed. You will be seeing red envelopes close to our offering boxes in the coming weeks. Please pick one up and be praying about how you can be a part of our missions outreach. Christmas is going to be here before we know it. See? And Pastor Dave is finishing up the Road to Recovery series. He will be preaching on the final checkpoint, Sharing Hope. This is also a perfect segue into our Christmas series, Advent Conspiracy. Check out this promo.
Good morning, church. Thanks for coming in on this Thanksgiving Sunday. As you stand to your feet, we're just going to sing together. We're going to proclaim hope. And we're going to proclaim a future through Jesus. We're going to proclaim victory. We're going to proclaim life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember those walls that we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But He came and He died and He rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we call death and grave They were like mountains that stood in our way But He came and He died and He rose Those giants are dead now
just want to praise him for the blessed assurance that we have. Thank you, Jesus, that you died, that you rose again. We serve a risen, victorious king this morning. We just want to usher in the presence of the Lord because we're two or three gathered in the name. He's here. Amen. Let's just worship. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit. Washed in his blood. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior.
Man. Everybody awake? Yeah. Okay. Now, a few over here are, everybody else is still on your turkey drunk. Okay. I get it. I get it. We got a great series for you today all about that. We can help you today. Here, I just want you to know what God's doing. All right. In this series, as we're finishing it up today, since we started this series, 27 people have given their lives to the Lord and more are planning on doing that today. So that's what God does. That's what God does. You see, and what we want to do is pay it forward. A pay it forward chain uh, that lasted for hundreds of customers spontaneously occurred at, guess where, Chick-fil-A. This one was in Georgia. There's all kinds of, you can Google, there's all kinds. This particular one, 275 people in a row paid it forward. Paid it forward, helping somebody else, just like it got past the, some of you have no clue what that means, all right? So here's the deal. The first person, like at eight o'clock for breakfast that day, some lady goes through the drive-thru and says, hey, I want to pay for the car behind me. Okay, fine. She does that. At 2.30 that afternoon, Somebody stopped paying for the car behind them. Now, I don't know who that person was. We need to find them and like, what's up, dude? Like, <laughs> what were you thinking? But from 8 o'clock in the morning till, till way into the afternoon, people are just like, hey, man, that's cool. Somebody bless me. I'm going to bless the person behind me. Because you see, that's really what it's all about. The idea of paying it forward is res- to respond to something positive in your life. Something positive in your life by sharing that with other people. So let me ask you, anybody got anything positive happening in your life? Okay, two of us. We're going to go get the world, all right? Anybody got anything positive happening in the last, I don't know, few weeks, months, years, decades? Is your life any different today than it was a year ago, than it was 10 years ago? Are there things that are happening? Did you celebrate anything on Thursday or did you just eat turkey? See, when there's things that we're thankful for, this whole idea of paying it forward really gets shoved to the forefront of our lives. Are there things that have happened that we're thankful for, that we can share, that we can pass it on, that we can carry the message. And in particular, in particular, has Jesus done anything to change your life that somebody else might need to hear about? That somebody else might be going through the same trauma, the same hurt, the same breakdown, the same addiction, the same you add whatever. That you have already gone through and made it through to the other side and they're still in the middle of it thinking, I'll never get out of this. My life will never be any better than it is right now. And it's not going to get any better. But you've got the story. You've got the living proof that it does get better. And that because of Jesus that we can recover from whatever it is that has thrown our bubble off center. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You you know, even if you're not a builder, you you know the little, like the level and the bubble. You need the bubble to be right on center. And ideally, that's where our life would be. Our life would always be right on center. But the reality is, a lot of life is spent up here, and a lot of life is spent up here. Although the majority of it is always spent right here, but when we go up or when we go down, either way, it messes us up, and we got to get back to the center. One of the best ways to get back to the center is when you've gotten back to the center to share a message of hope, to pay it forward in that way. The power of the gospel 
You know, they talk about good news. Jesus is good news. Mercy me singing a song. It's not just good news. It's the best news ever. It's the best news ever. And we need to share that message. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to share that good news. And it's, the final, it's also the final checkpoint in this road to recovery that we're on. So each week, what I've been doing is I've been giving you the, like, the, the, the corresponding place in the 12 steps for those that might have heard of or want to use the 12 steps. Because it doesn't have to be just about alcohol and drugs. Remember, we've been saying that. It can be about everything. So we've been giving you those steps and then the road recovery principles and jumping into it. Here's, here's step two. 12. Here's step 12. Having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we strive to carry this message to others in need. Check this out. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them how? Gently. Gently. Everybody say gently. Okay, yeah. But watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Just because you've gotten through the flood doesn't mean that you can drown if you go back into the waters, all right? And so we've got to be careful that we see something, we're like, okay, come on, man, let me throw you a rope, let me throw you a life, I'm gonna help get you out of that situation because I've been, I've been there, I've been through that, but I'm not coming back in there, I'm not going back into that mess and getting messed up again, but I wanna help you get out. Here's the corresponding principle in the road to recovery. It's actually principle eight. It says, I'm gonna yield myself to God to be used to bring good news to others both by my example and by my words. And so often we've looked back at the Beatitudes and Jesus' words. And here in Matthew 5, verse 10, it says, Happy are those who are persecuted. What? Happy are those who are persecuted. Happy are those who are going through hard times. James said, Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because through those trials you will gain patience, perseverance, you will gain those things. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Not, not happy are those who are just beat up because they're in a gang and they got caught up in something bad and they got beat up. No, happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Because if you're doing what God requires, you know there's an end result. You know there's a purpose. There's, you, you know there's something worth living and even dying for. There's a woman in the Gospel of John in chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to that or get on your phone and your tablet, whatever, and get there. Because you're not going to have to look all around a whole lot. We're staying here the rest of the morning, okay? Because I want to look at this woman. This woman that, that John records the story about. Jesus meeting her on his way from town to town. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Jesus knew... That the Pharisees, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. See, they were already, they were already upset about the stir. But what they knew, what they knew was that if people are accepting what Jesus is saying and they're getting baptized, there is an army that is brewing, there is a group of people that are gathering, there's a team that is forming that may be a formidable opposition. 
And so they stepped in. So understand this, understand this in this moment. The enemy knows, the enemy knows that over 100 people have given their life to Jesus on the hill this year. And the enemy knows that a formidable team is forming on the hill that can make a difference in Shelby County and surrounding communities. So that doesn't go unchallenged. Understand that, all right? Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he, let Jude, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Okay, with this knowledge that the Pharisees are upset, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, this was a choice. This was a choice. There was another way. This was the quickest way. There's other way around. But he went through Samaria, kind of under the radar of the Pharisees there. We'll get to that in a minute. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village uh, of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well until about noontime. There's some things we need to see in there. The people accepting the message of Jesus prompted the Pharisees to want to stop Jesus. There are people that even when good things are happening are prompted to wish them not to happen. There are people that see you climbing out of that pit. Who dug me out of that pit? He did. And there are people that are prompted. When they see you digging out of a pit, they are prompted to grab you by the ankles and pull you back into that pit because it's easier for them to pull you down than for them to join the bit of climbing out of the pit themselves. And so here the Pharisees see people accepting the message of Jesus and it prompted the Pharisees to want to stop Jesus. And the Pharisees being upset prompted Jesus to take a, a maybe a, a different route, to go through Samaria, which a Jew normally wouldn't do, wouldn't be caught in Samaria. And Jesus being tired prompted him to stop and rest. You ever get tired? You ever been so tired that you just don't think you can take another step? You don't think you can stay awake another minute? Or maybe the tired isn't physical. Maybe the tired is much more mental, emotional, spiritual. Things have just been piling up so long that you're not sure that you can actually keep going. You know what you need to do? Sit down and take a rest. Sometimes we just, Jesus was tired. And so he sat down to rest. What's God prompting you to do? There's all kinds of different promptings. There's all kinds of different promptings from God. I've had a couple conversations with with people this week. They're like, "I, I don't even know. I don't even know why this, but I can't get this out of my mind. I can't get this person out of my mind. I can't get this situation out of my mind. I don't understand it. And so that's because God's prompting. God's prompting. God's, God's putting something there that you have to deal with one way or another. I've made a commitment. I've made a commitment that if I'm driving down the interstate and I have now voice whatever that, so if you ever get a text from me that doesn't make sense, understand Siri's trying to translate me while I'm driving and just we'll go with that, all right? But like if I've just made a commitment that if I start thinking about somebody and I just can't quit thinking about somebody, that it's the Holy Spirit saying, you need to pray right now. 
You need to pray right now. And occasionally, I'll just send somebody a text go, don't know what's going on, but I'm praying for you right now. Because God prompted. The Holy Spirit prompts. And so we need to follow those promptings. Here, all this is going on. Jesus is prompted to go another way. And when he's tired, he's prompted to sit down and rest. Now let's look what happens next. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for something to drink? Look at the rest of it here. And Jesus replied, sweetheart, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then it goes on a little bit further. No, we'll get, we'll get that in a minute. Here's, what, here's what's going on here. Just, a, just history. It was a daily routine. It was a daily routine in that culture, not just for Samaritan women, but for women everywhere. And we don't want to get into like gender, like whatever, but it, it was just the routine for the women to go out daily and to gather or to retrieve water from the well for the next day. There was no plumbing. There wasn't fresh water. You had to go to the well every day. And so that was a daily, daily routine. Most ladies did it first thing in the morning. It was probably, so it was, it was normal for the Samaritan woman to go to the well for water. It's probably somewhat normal for her to meet a person, a man at the well, to ask for a drink. That was probably normal. There wasn't, there wasn't Starbucks to go through and get your morning coffee. There wasn't a water fountain. <coughs> That's where you were going to get a drink. And so that wasn't abnormal. It was not normal for her to run into a Jewish man at this well in Samaria. And it especially wasn't normal for this Jewish man to speak to her, a Samaritan woman. See, but what is normal is this. It's normal. In fact, it's commanded. It's normal for God to work during the daily routine of your life to open doors. Because that's what the Great Commission is all about. Do you know in the Great Commission, when Jesus said as his last words, go into all the world and make disciples, do you know how that's literally translated? If you could translate it literally straight from the Greek to what it would be today, what Jesus was saying is, while you are going, while you are going, doing your everyday normal, whatever it is that you do when you get up in the morning, while you are going, make disciples. He wasn't, the command in that, in the Great Commission is not to go. We've messed that up for centuries. The command is not to go. The going is assumed. What Jesus says, while you are going, here's the command, make disciples. So it was normal. It was normal for God to open doors during the routine of life. Check out what happens next. Verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again real soon. Look what happens next. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, 
and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. <laughs> I just said the same thing. The, the scenario that Jesus is laying out, if you drink this living water that I can provide for you, you'll never be thirsty again. Beyond just thirst, what Jesus is saying is if you will trust in me, I will take care of what you need. I will take care of it. Maybe not what you want. Maybe, he didn't say I'm gonna turn that water into Diet Mountain Dew. But I'll give you something that you won't ever need what you want that you think you need. Follow me? And then I'll, be, I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Man, don't miss this last phrase. Wait, you know, so many times I was, I was reading this passage this week and I was thinking about it and just going, and all of a sudden it hit me. It hit me. Don't, don't miss this last phrase. And I won't have to come here to get water ever again. Wow. She says, you don't have any rope. You don't have any rope. You don't have any hope of getting water. You don't have a way. She wasn't just asking for living water. What this woman is beginning to sense and what she's saying in between the lines of her actual words are, I need something different. She wasn't just asking for living water. She was asking for a life change. No more coming for daily water? Oh, man. I don't have to do this. I don't have to carry this jug anymore. I don't have to come down and get water. Now, she's still struggling with thinking that Jesus is talking about physical water, okay? That, that, there's a jump that has to be made there that it's going to take her a while, okay? But in her mind, she's thinking, I don't have to carry this jug down here every day. Wow, let's do that. And she's down there at a different time. Most women came early in the day. The Bible tells us she's down in the middle of the day. Why in the world would she be down there in the middle of the day? I think it's because she had figured out nobody else from town would be there at that time of the day. She didn't have to interact with anybody else. You ever been in a situation where you're like, I just do not want to go in Walmart. I'll drive to Middletown sometimes. Kroger, forget it. We'll go hungry. Because sometimes we get in those places where, even when things aren't bad, like, I do not want to see a single person that knows me today. I just want to be invisible for a time. But we need water. We need water at home, so I've got to go get this. And so in her mind, she's thinking, I don't have to carry a jug. And I don't have to take the chance on seeing people that I don't want to see. Yeah, I want some of that. Well, why didn't she want to see them? Here's where it gets fun. Look at the next thing that Jesus tells her to do. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And here it comes. You ready? You're right. You don't have a husband. For you've already had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Busted. You certainly spoke 
the truth, she says. And then she goes on to say, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? Notice how she deflects. (laughs) Notice how immediately, like Jesus has just busted her. And all of a sudden it's like, no, I'm going to take this somewhere else. (laughs) I'm going to take this somewhere somewhere completely else. And, and, and while we Samaritans claim it's here in Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship, what's going on here is a reality check. Go get your husband. I don't have one. See, part of the reason that the woman hated going to the well at this time every day was she'd been married five times. She's living, sleeping with a dude now that she's not married to. And he's probably not the first of those. So everybody in town knows. And who went to get the water every day? The women went to get the water. So what women might she run into at the well as she went at the time everybody else? She might run into the lady that she was the side hustle to. That's a dangerous combination, confrontation. And so she decided, I'll just go in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's a little bit hotter, a little bit more trouble, but I don't want want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. And Jesus comes into the situation. Jesus comes in the situation to bring hope from public sin and from private sin. See, everybody in that village knew this woman's story. And Jesus came to say, let's make things right. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, or who you've done it with. I came to make things right. It comes to deal with your public sin, that thing that everybody knows about and you know about. But he also comes to deal with your private sin. That thing that you think you're hiding from everyone and more, like we said last week, a whole lot more people know than you realize know or that you think know. And Jesus said, I have come to take care of those public sins and those private ones as well. And then look what Jesus tells her. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It's cool. Like, even though that she went to the question about the mountain as a deflection from her situation, Jesus didn't ignore what she asked. He went on and talked to her about that, but he used it to to make a point that she needed to understand. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. (laughs) Man. People in 2023 know very little about the things that they worship. A whole lot of things that are being worshipped. A whole lot of people that are being worshipped. A whole lot of celebrities that are being worshipped. A whole lot of products that are being worshipped. And you know what they figured out? A whole lot of the people have figured out if they will just put a little fish next to their ad, people that go to church are going to make an assumption about who they are and what they believe. And it's a business practice, not a statement of faith. There's a lot of people, including some preachers, that could just throw a little God talk on top of everything and make you believe anything they want you to believe. They can make you believe things that aren't even in the Bible. 
They can make you believe things that Jesus didn't even say because we don't know who we worship well enough to be able to counteract or contradict those that are teaching false worship. Jesus said, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes to the Jews. Keep going. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship in that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and truth. See, we don't know who we worship. So on this road to recovery, that's a critical point because we've got to understand where recovery comes from. Recovery does not come from a program, not even the one that we run here at our church. Recovery doesn't come from a program. It comes from a Savior. And so we've got to know who it is and what it is that we are worshiping. And so Jesus says, spirit, spirit and truth. I need you to worship in spirit and truth. See, spirit means, among other things, that it's got to originate from our heart. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be motivated by our love for God and gratitude. Is, Is there anything in your spirit that you need to worship that the world needs to know about? See, what Jesus had started teaching was that when you accepted him, what came to live inside of you? The holy what? Spirit comes to live in you and be part of you. And so that's, that's the genesis, that's the beginning of our worship. But he also said you need to worship in spirit and in truth because if there's no truth attached to the spirit, spirit can in and of itself by itself be very emotional. I just, I just get all up in my feelings about this or this. And if we're not careful and there's no truth to come alongside of it, what we are worshiping that makes us feel like some sort of way isn't even real. Our worship must conform to the revelation of God that's, that's revealed here in Scripture. It, it, it must be informed by who God is and what he is like. God's word is our truth. God's word is our truth. You know what John told us about the word? John said, in the beginning the word was with God. And the word was God. Guess who he's talking about? Nobody but Jesus. <laughs> And then the word became flesh. And as Eugene Peterson wrote, moved into your neighborhood. The word came and lived with us and among us. So it's got to be both spirit and truth. And so look what happens. This is so cool. The end of the story is so cool. Look what it says. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. The one who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then check this out. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Remember when God wanted to send a message to Pharaoh? He said, tell him, I am sent you. Tell him, I am sent you. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. He reveals his identity. But look, this word Messiah, you know what this word is? This word Messiah, it's Savior. It's Savior. I came to be your Savior. Whatever sin that is in your life, 
as we're tying up this series, whatever that thing is that's gotten your bubble off center, that's moved things, moved the needle in the wrong direction, whatever sin that's in your life that you're trying to recover from, Jesus is the answer. You can't work hard enough, and you can't be good enough. Because the difference between sobriety and recovery is Jesus, period. The difference between sin and salvation is Jesus. He is the only higher power. And we hang on to him. And so let's finish and see what happens because there's another, there's another group of characters got to come back into the scene. Check this out. Just then, his disciples, Jesus' disciples come back. Remember, said early in the text, they'd gone into town to get food. Remember that? And they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask. <laughs> you ever seen your boss do something and you're like, I can't believe they just did that. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to say a word. <laughs> you know? And they're like, I, I can't believe he's doing this. <laughs> What do you want with her? They, they're afraid to ask. Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. See, once again, let's go back for a minute without being too vivid or too detailed. Remember what we had said before about who this woman was and what she had done and how many people knew about it? And so when she goes, it says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. There's probably some people like, I don't want to hear. Because they knew. Because they knew. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And then check out verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees always challenged Jesus spending time with sinners. This time the challenge kind of came from his disciples. What are you doing with her? See, Jesus came for sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. The woman woman knew that her life had changed. And so she goes running to tell everybody. She's carrying the message. She's paying it forward. She's sharing hope because she knew that for the first time in years, she had some hope and she wanted to share that with people. I love what it says. The people came to see Jesus based on her carrying a message of hope of the Messiah. Listen to me, guys. When you start sharing how God has changed your life, both in your words and even more importantly in your actions and the way that you live and the things that you do or the things that you don't do anymore that you used to do, when people start seeing that, they're going to want to know what's up. And people will come when they hear you proclaiming that something has changed in your life on the road to recovery. So last thing we say is it's time to say yes. It's time to say yes. Today may be your time to say yes. And I want to give you just three points. Guess what letters they start with on why and how you need to say yes. The first thing you need to do is yield yourself, yield myself to God. To yield myself to God. Maybe for you today, it is time to quit white-knuckling it and to let go of that chair 
and surrender your life to Jesus and join the family and the numbers of people who have gotten baptized this year and yield yourself to God. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's to be used by God to bring good news to others. Maybe you've made that decision, but I, I just don't like talking about it. Like I, I'm, you know, it was just Thanksgiving, and like things I'm not going to talk about is, you know, politics and religion. No, I'm just not going to. No, maybe that's you. And maybe you just need to let go and realize that there's a good chance you wouldn't have been here today if somebody hadn't talked to you about that thing that you don't want to talk to anybody else about. And so you need to yield, to let go, and let God be your Savior, and yield, and be willing to share. The second thing is examples. Examples are so important. When we read this, this Bible that is so full, so full of examples of messed up, like really messed up people, We've talked about through this series. You can read some of the stories in here and you can think you're like super Christian. Like you can read about people in here that did stuff that you didn't even think about showing up in a movie and God used them. And those examples tell us there's always hope. And so we need to yield to Jesus being our Lord and start living an example our walk needs to match our talk. Our lifestyle needs to reflect our beliefs. And finally, after we yield and realize the power of examples, we begin to serve. And we just serve others as Jesus did. We just serve others as Jesus. You know what it really is? It's time to pick up the towel and start serving. The night Jesus is going to be betrayed, he walks in for this big dinner party, the last supper that he's going to have, and there's nobody there to wash the feet. And so Jesus picks up a towel and a basin and begins to wash the dirty, smelly, stinky feet of his disciples, including Judas. And to wash the feet. One huge way that you can serve and to carry out the message is coming during the month of December. Each year we do something called the Together Initiative. That each year during December and culminating, climaxing in our Christmas Eve service, which is on Sunday night, the 24th at 6 and 11 o'clock, is to take up a Together Offering, a Together Initiative Offering. And our hope every year, our hope every year would be that we would fund all, or as much of the all as possible, of our necessary needs for missions, benevolence, and outreach for 2024, for next year. Just so you know, that number's a little over a quarter of a million dollars. $250,000. It's the end of the year. Some people, maybe you want to make a year-end gift. Maybe you haven't been tithing all year, and you want to make a year-end gift. And, and, but, you, but when we make those gifts, those Together initiatives, they do so many things. They're doing stuff in our local school system right now that, that people would have thought was unheard of, of, of people being able to go in and serve in a local school and to do things for our school. They're, they're funding all these people in all these countries around the world. In the next service, in the next service, it's going to be so cool. Bradley's going to be here this weekend for Thanksgiving and he came home for the weekend from college after finishing third in the nation in cross country in his second year back at Cumberland's and all the international students that, that we told you about starting the picnic that needed help and 14 of them were going to be worshiping with us in the next service and a couple of them have already accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
That's because, that's because together we've been able to say, hey, we can help take care of this need. We can help take care of this need. We can help. And so we begin to serve others as Jesus did. Man, man. So the bottom line is, whatever your thing is, because of Jesus, we can all recover. We do recover. But we've got to make him Savior and Lord. I'm going to pray. Don't move until after I pray. But I want to tell you what I want you to do. This is the last, this is it. This is the, the culmination of this and we're going on to something else. So today I just know, I know a bunch are going to because they've already committed. But some of you need to move to change. Some of you that have been white knuckling it for too long need to let go and let God have your life. And so after I pray, when we start singing, your move needs to be to meet Bobby and Elizabeth and some over here at the baptistry and to get ready to make that change. Some of you just really need to move to pray. Man, Nick, we are going to up the ante on prayers as high as it can possibly be raised. Because what goes over all of those things, the, those, our DNA, those are all covered in prayer. Those are all covered in prayer. And so some of us need to just, we already do pray, but some need to just fall on your knees and pray, whether it's your seat or up your front over there. Some of you need to be generous. Some of you have been really blessed this year. And you're still not tithing. And you need to be generous and you need to give. But you know what? We've, already, we've all been blessed with the opportunity to recover because of Jesus. And so for that, we need to commune and be thankful for what he's done. God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done and for what you're doing and for what you're going to do. And God, we pray for those that may need to accept you as Lord and Savior right now. We pray for those that have already made a commitment to do that. We pray for uh, the opportunity to be generous so we can make a difference all around the world. All around the world so that people can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, would you just move as we move this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's move. Jesus Christ, my living hope.
to celebrate. And it's time to celebrate what we're really thankful for. I hope you got to spend some time with family and friends this week and that you had some time of Thanksgiving. But I just want, Todd's going to play. I just want you to have just a few seconds just to look at what it is that we have to be thankful for. Body that was given for us. Blood that was shed for us to be our living hope. thankful followers let's take the bread together as thankful worshipers let's take of the cup together we've been praying for God to move all through this series that we take the message and carry the message straight off the hill. So there's no better way for us to finish this series than with what's about to happen. Let's worship. church. It took us a minute to get out here. So. Uh, this is my brother, Jake Moore. Uh, Jake just recently got out of the Isaiah house and uh, he's been sober now for six weeks. So I'm super, super proud of him. And, uh, he came to me the other day, he just out of the blue, said that he's ready to give the, make, you know, the Lord his, his Savior. And so here we are today. Are you ready? Yeah. I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. Son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. To be my personal Lord and Savior. To be my personal Lord and Savior. Because of your confession, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and gift of eternal life.
<laughs> Talking to Josh yesterday a little bit. You can stay standing up. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> there have been times, like, anybody, who's got a brother? Anybody in here got a brother? Anybody got a brother? You ever had times with your brother where you wanted to take them down? Like, that's just being real, right? Ain't no better thing to take them down with than that right there. Let's get out of here. Go love God, love people. Watch him change the world. We'll see you guys.